Tonight we're going to read Romans 15, verses 1 through 7 together, and we'll read these verses responsively. So I'll begin with verse 1, and then you'll join me for verse 2, and so on, and then we'll read verse 7 together. Romans chapter 15, verse 1, and the Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And together on verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We're in Romans, and we're talking about having the right kind of testimony, a righteous testimony in a wicked world, having a good testimony in the church that we go to among the brethren, and having a good testimony to those without the church in particular, because they're the ones who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what they know about Jesus, they learn from my life, my response in your life, and your response, how you obey your mom, how you listen to your dad, how you conduct yourself, how you pay your bills, all those things are uh, things that make up our testimony. We've been spending the time this month, and I'll do this tonight, do it again Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night next week, and we'll wrap this up on this particular topic and go into the next topic there we have in September. But I've been helped as I've read uh, Romans chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 numerous times in preparation for this, uh, these times that we're together. And of course, just a reminder, the book of Romans is a book that reminds us about our sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It reminds us about salvation, chapters 4 and 5. Salvation is made possible by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Then it talks about sanctification, chapter 6, 7, and 8, how that we can live a sanctified life. Now, we got a couple problems. Our problem is with our, our flesh. The problem is with the law. But the solution is found in a walk with the Holy Spirit of God. And you'll see the Holy Spirit is the main focus of chapter 8. And that's where we finish up saying, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then it goes into nine chapters, 9, 10, 11, which speak of the sovereignty of God in relation to salvation and the nation of Israel and the Jewish people in particular. And Paul definitely is, has to address that because there are challenges there. Much of the Calvinistic teaching that people get, and I think that mistakenly get, is found because they misunderstand Romans 9, 10, and 11. But it's talking about God's sovereignty. He has chosen to use the nation of Israel to give us the scriptures and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he has not thrown them away. Some folks have now, there's a new thing called replacement theology, where that, that Israel doesn't matter today. But I do believe it matters. I believe that it will matter for, for the eons until, at least until the millennium is over with. 
Uh, it's going to matter because God has chosen. It, it's a miraculous country, and God speaks about that in 9, 10, 11. And then in chapter 12, he says, Now, I beseech you, therefore, based upon all I've told you about sin and salvation and sanctification and my, my working in salvation, the nation of Israel, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you now do something about what you've, what you've been given. The salvation, the sanctification, the sovereignty of God working in your life. Now, I want you to be appreciative. Have a good testimony in your service. Show your appreciation of the mercies of God. Have an attitude and a testimony of appreciation. A testimony of dedication. This week on Grace to Grow, I'm going to plan to do each of the, a little bit more about chapter 12 and talk a little bit more about it. It's on my heart heavy. And then chapter 13, he tells them, after that, he tells them, I want you to have a testimony of honoring your civic leaders. Honor them. And then be honest in your living. Owe no man anything but to love one another. If you, if you handle your finances with wisdom. And then he tells them that he said, I want you to humbly love the people that are around you. He said, owe no man anything but to love one another. And then he tells them, I want you to live a holy life. In chapter 14, he's addressing a problem that's in the church at Rome in particular because you have one church with people from all over the world, Jew and Gentile, weak and strong, but they're having some issues over things that are not, thus saith the Lord, and uh, a lack of understanding. Every one of us uh, have a little bit different level of understanding of the Scriptures, some of you would know, boy, you'd know the Psalms like the back of your hand, where someone else might understand Ezekiel. Some folks say, I don't even like reading Revelation. It scares me to death. Someone else says, I love it. Revelation's my book. I like to know all that God's going to be doing. We have different levels and different, uh, different uh, areas of knowledge, and, uh, and that gives us liberty and opportunities to know things. And the more you know, knowledge can puff it up, but it also expands your wisdom. And expand your knowledge of what is allowed. What's not allowed? Is that that big of a deal? Sometimes, as Christians, we make um, little things big. And we sometimes forget that big things are, 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 we make big things little. We'll major on the minors and minor on the majors. And he says he's going he's to say that. He's going to use two concepts. One is diet. The other is days. Can you say it with me? Diet. That's the two arguments in the church at Rome. Now, it's not an argument today. Most of us don't have an argument about whether we should eat a ham sandwich or not, okay? That's not our argument here at First Baptist Church. Now, there are some other things that we're at different stages of life on and different understandings. There are some folks that maybe they, that, that they're, they're growing their walk with the Lord and they or grew up on, on movies and and. And Netflix and all these things, and there's some things that they need to shed and say, you know what, that's not important. There's things that people, when they got saved, they had, they had uh, club seats or, or season tickets to the Bears or the Cubs or the White Sox, and every available moment they were out there. Or every night they're out playing softball, and all of a sudden as, as they get saved, they realize, you know what, that's not really all that important anymore. I need to be doing this. I don't need to be at the softball. I don't need to be watching the White Sox on Sunday when I need to be in church. Or I don't need to be watching the Bulls and doing that. So they've changed and things. Everybody's going to a different thing. He says, you've got to be careful because you and I don't know where everybody else is. 
And there are certain things that we have to give each other some wiggle room to grow. And that is exactly what, uh, that what Paul is addressing here with days and with diets. And I won't take all the information, but he said there's three things that you need to have a testimony that you understand your brothers and sisters. This is by way of review. Remind yourself, number one, that they're accepted by God. Okay? You might feel like, well, God treats me like I'm his only child, but you're not his only child. And he loves that person across the aisle from you, too. He loves that person that owes you money, too. He, he loves that umpire that called you out at third yesterday. He loves him, too. He loves the person who didn't put you into the game or didn't do this or didn't, didn't, didn't meet your expectation or, or uh, you know, said something hurtful to you in the Sunday school class. He loves them, too. One thing you need to understand about your brothers and sisters is that they're accepted by God. Number two, that they're accountable to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, sometimes we want to help people be accountable to God. And I think if you love one another, you want to provoke each other to love God and others more, do more for God and others. But the truth of the matter is, I'm responsible for me, and you're responsible for you, and we're responsible first to God. So things we have to understand about each other is, number one, our brothers and sisters are all accepted by God. Number two, they're accountable to God. This is kind of can give you some freeing situation. When you understand, you know what, they're on a different page and they're responsible to their father and I'm responsible to my father too, but we're on different stages. You're like in a family and we have had nine children and I think uh, uh, Tyler was uh, 15, well, let's see, he was 17 when he home with the Lord and then we didn't have Lacey yet, but we, had, uh, we have about, oh, I don't know, 15 years between our oldest one, Tyler and, and Mason. But I, I, all those kids were our children, but I treated, different, I treated each of them somewhat different. I have two girls in that mix, so you know, the girls were treated a little bit different. I didn't have them mow the lawn. There's different things to do. And then and ages of three and someone at 15, there's a different, a different accountability. I expect the older kids to know more, and I put a little more responsibility on them. You know, the same is true. You've been saved a little longer. You have a few more miles under your belt. God expects a little bit more out of you. To whom much is given? Much is required. But we all are responsible to God. So we are accepted by God, and so is every one of his brother, my brothers and sisters. We are accountable to God. I am for me, and you are for you. And they're not accountable necessarily to each other completely. There are little microcosms in which, you know, if you're in a Sunday school class or you're in a bus route, you have a bus captain, you have authority, if churches have pastors, and there is an accountability to obey them to have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. They can do it with joy, not with grief, not to be rebellious. But the truth of the matter is they are accountable to their leadership to you, and you're accountable for your fellowship to them. And they, as they walk in the Lord, the Bible says, be you followers of me as I am of Christ. So your spiritual leaders, you follow them because they follow Christ. You consider their conversation. You see how they live, and you say, you know what? I can follow that person. They're not perfect. They're human beings. They make mistakes, but they're my spiritual leader, and I'm going to follow them. But we are responsible to the Lord. We are accountable to God. And then lastly, God is the one who will hold us up. Our brothers and sisters are assisted by God, and he wants them to stand. That's one of the reasons that we... That, that God's purpose for us is, I want you to stand, therefore, having done all to steadfast, un, 
unmovable, always abounding, because I want you to stand. I want you to stand in the evil day, and having done all to, he's to remind him, I want you to stand. And you know who's the one who helps us stand? It's the Lord that does that. So those are things that God wants to understand. Number three, we, we need to understand, not only to understand our brothers and sisters, and we have a testimony, that we're oftentimes very hard on each other. We're very critical of each other. And sometimes there are things we do that are very disappointing to our brothers and sisters and people that you're disappointed in. But you've got to remind yourself, okay, they're accepted by God, they're accountable directly to God, and God is working in them like he's working in me. The next thing I think is important for us to understand is we have personal responsibility. Many people do not want responsibility. And they want to play the blame game. I was listening to these young people sing, and I know where each of them are from, and I most know some of their parents. And those young people that sing, every one of them ought to live for the Lord. Matter of fact, every teenager in this room ought to live for God. I don't care whether your mom and dad saved or not. You've got enough Christianity given to you. You have no excuse to be an idiot out there. You ought to live for the holy for the Lord. To whom much is given, much is required. Grieves me when people have been given so much and they just flush it because of selfishness and just, it just it's sickening. You've been given so much, you ought, to, you ought to take what you've given and use it for the glory of God. Don't spend your life chasing your tail was talking to Brother John Francis yesterday, and we spoke about a young man that came from a wonderful family. And he has numbers of siblings that love the Lord. But he always had a wild streak in him. We knew him. We loved him. But he just always had a, you know, and, and uh, we saw him not too long ago. I saw him, and then Brother John saw him. And, and you look at him, and you see him. Now he's in his late 40s, early 50s, and his life has been a rough one because the way of the transgressor is hard. You think you're winning, but you're really losing. You rebel, you're inviting satanic opposition into your life. Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. And young people, uh, don't try to think too much on your own. Lean not to your own understanding. You got a, a generation of people that went, I don't think that's nothing wrong with that. Now, your mom and dad's told you it's wrong. Your teacher's told you it's wrong. Youth pastor told you, well, your pastor's preached against it. And all of a sudden, you think, there's nothing wrong with that. You're drinking too many cans of stupidity. It's ridiculous. You don't, you don't have enough wisdom right now, so lean on the wisdom of those who've helped you. And don't, don't get away from that. So many of us, we all of a sudden, we, we, think, we're, we think we're God's gift to, to all knowledge and wisdom at the age of 16. And there's, that's where you need your mom and dad. You need to depend upon the advice. And just let a few years go by. You can see some things happen. You're going to see. You start watching the fallout of mankind around you that take exits off the high road of holiness. And you'll, you'll be glad you stayed on that highway. But we are responsible. Number one, we're responsible to God. He said, so then every one of us should give an account of himself to God. In just a few days, we'll all stand before God. You'll be looking to the eyes, not of Pastor Wilkerson, not in your Sunday school teacher, uh, not to your mom and dad. You'll be looking to the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll give an account to him. God's turned all the judgment over to the Son. 
the one who died on the cross for you, and there will be there'll, there'll be no there'll be no talking during that time. And only the talking is the Lord Jesus. You'll do in the listening, and either glad you did or wish you would have, because all of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Number two, we're responsible to ourselves, for no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to. Himself, whether he lives there for or die, he is the Lord. So you got the, you got accountability there, but you also have accountability. By the way, let me just say real quickly: if you're listening to me, and I hope you are, make sure you know that God knows you. Make sure you know that you're saved. If you're not saved, don't let pride or procrastination keep you from getting saved tonight. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold. Now, today is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. God loves you. And the Bible says in, in, in its clear terms, in the greatest message ever preached, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I taught a Sunday school class. I preached in, 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 in on the bus. I, I did these things. And I did lots of wonderful, I drove the bus, I, I worked on the route, I did this, I took up the offering at the church, I worked in the AV, I, I did all these things, I sang in the choir, I played in the orchestra. I, and he'll say, Lord, Lord, so I know you. Then he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you're still in your sin. On what basis would you have to depart? Because he does not know you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. Make sure that you have your salvation settled. If you're struggling about that, humble yourself and say, You know what? I am not, I don't have, it's not hard to be saved. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you, if you don't know about that, let's get it settled. You can know. You can know that you can know that you're saved. Because you're responsible to God. It doesn't matter if your daddy thinks you're saved. As someone the other day not long ago tell me, he said, well, well, my mother tells me it happened like this. I'd be scared to death to give that testimony. Well, I'm saved because my mother told me, or my dad told me, or, you know, I think, uh, let's see, where was I? You usually can remember when you meet someone important. You may not know the hour on the clock or the day on the calendar, but you know where you were when you met them. If you met Michael Jordan or you met uh, President Trump or you met someone you thought was important, you probably can remember where you were. If you can't remember where you were when you got saved, it may be because you weren't there. And you get that settled. But if you are saved, then we're not going to go to hell, but we have our direct responsibility to God. And we're responsible to him. We're also responsible to ourselves, and we're responsible to each other. God says you need to walk charitably with each other. That means you can't just say, you know what, I don't care about anybody at the church, or I don't care what my mom, my mom and dad, what they think about my mom and dad, or what they think about my kids, or whatever. No, 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 you have other people to be concerned with. If there's anything I can believe in the Bible is that God has made me, and he's told me that I'm supposed to love you, and you're supposed to love me. <laughs> and we're supposed to love each other. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love. There's other people that can dress modestly and not know Jesus Christ. 
But one badge of discipleship this world can recognize is somebody, a Christian, who loves each other. And I'm responsible to love you. And when I decide what I'm going to do with my life, I have to consider you. I should consider you. When you decide what you're going to do, you should consider your family. You should consider your, your, your Sunday school teacher. Consider your bus. Consider your assistant pastors. Consider the person that led you to Christ. Hey, when you decide what you're going to do, consider those that you helped. You know, when you want to, you've, in many of you, you've been used of God sweetly to help other people. Well, stay on the high road of holiness. Don't dip your sails now. That hurts people. Look back over my life, probably one of the most, most difficult daggers I take is whenever I see someone who taught me to do something right doing something wrong now. <laughs> they no longer treasure the things I learned from them. It just is a kick in the gut. I don't want to hurt those people coming after me. I'd like to be doing the right thing the right way for the right reason for the rest of my life. You pray that I will, and I'll pray that you will. But we're responsible to God, we're responsible to each other, we're responsible for ourselves, and we're responsible to the gospel. We spoke about that this morning. But he tells us here, with all the do's and don'ts in Christianity, and there are a few. Some people like the outback mentality, no rules, just right. Don't give me any do's and don'ts. Just let me love God and live like I want to live. And that's a bunch of junk. I want to live in grace. Well, the grace of God that appeared to all men brings salvation. But it also teaches us to deny ungodliness and live soberly and righteous in this present world. The same grace that saved you sets up a classroom in your heart and teaches you to live holy. Teaches you to live without wickedness and not to be conformed to this world. I'm so grateful for the grace of God. It's not just a fuzzy-wuzzy feeling. It's a, it's, a prefer, it's a swift kick in the backside when I'm not doing right. It's my teacher saying, hey, no, 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 no. That's not the way God wants you to do that. It's the grace of God is still alive. It's still got a classroom set up in my heart to do, to teach me what God wants me to, to learn. But God said, the, but the kingdom of God, and by the way, should we be interested in the kingdom of God? What is the first step in the kingdom of God is to be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see what? Yeah, you've got, you got to be saved. So once you're saved, then you get into the kingdom of God. That's the way God wants to do things. I, I think there's a lot of int intricacies there, but the kingdom of God is, means he's the king. <laughs> and things happen like he wants them to happen. And so he said, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the Bible tells us, if you would please, in chapter 4, look at it real quickly in verse number 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not rules. Rules do not make you spiritual. Okay? But spiritual people have rules. Standards of living do not make someone spiritual. Jehovah Witness have standards of living, at least on, when they're out canvassing. And when they go to church, they look like independent fundamental Baptists. But that doesn't make someone a saved person, nor does it make someone spiritual. But when people are spiritual and spirit-filled, it will overlap to their conduct. He says, that, but the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not this little rule, that little rule. But it is found in three words we learned them this morning, righteousness, peace, 
enjoy the Holy Ghost. That's something when people look at you, ma'am, they look at me, sir, they should say, righteousness? Oh, yeah. That, that fits him. He does the right thing. Peace? Oh, yeah. You can tell they're really comfortable in their skin. They, they trust the Lord. They're comfortable in difficult times. They're not running around with their hair on fire. They figure it out. And they've got joy. And the joy of the Lord is our, they got strength in difficult times. That's what I, that should be my MO. That should be my mantra. That should be your mantra. As a husband, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a child, as a teenager, you ought to be, you ought to be obvious when people say, hey, that young man that rides the church bus on from Chicago, hey, righteous. Yeah, he does the right thing. That mother, that grandmother, peace. Oh, peace is all over them. And joy. They have the joy of the Lord as their strength, and the joy of the Holy Ghost fills them. That should be our, our, uh, our, our way of living. He says, if you want to seek the kingdom of God, it's going to be shown in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that should be something in your life and my life. Let's hasten, if I can, please. Let's go to the next verse. Verse number 18. For these things serveth Christ for... <clears throat> For that in these things, that means righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost, serveth Christ and acceptable to God and approved of men. When somebody has these things, God's accept, he, they're accepted of the Lord. God appreciates that. By the way, it's something, whenever you're saved, positionally you're accepted by God. Years ago, my dad had a 1970 Ford pickup truck. And it was three on the tree. It had a gear shifting on the tree there and. And I was a senior in high school, and we lived out in the country, and I was making the big bucks at Arby's Roast Beef Restaurant. And he would tell me, he said, Dad, John, you can use the truck. Always put enough gas in there. I, expect, I don't expect you to fill it up, but always make sure there's a gas to get back to town. And I remember one Friday night, I had basketball practice, and then I went to work, and I got off about 1 o'clock in the morning. I saw the Union 76 gas station there. I looked down, and it was on low, but I thought, I, I'm sure there's enough. I had money in my pocket. I should have stopped, but I said, I think we're okay. I'm just going to go. I was tired. I went in. I, I parked the truck. I put the keys on the mantle. I fell into my bed in my Arby's roast beef clothes. It smelled like a potato cake. I didn't change my clothes. I just fell, fell, asleep, fell asleep there. I was so tired. Next morning, my mother woke me up and said, John, you want to you wanna eat? I said, yeah. She goes, I got some eggs and toast. And so I showered real quick and went sitting down there. I said, where's dad? He said, oh, he went to town. I said, oh, good. What, what car did he take? He said, he took the truck. I was like, oh, man, I hope there's enough gas in there. But I was eating my eggs and just looking around, and all of a sudden I saw a figure walking down that little country road with a red gas can. Something else was red, his face. At that moment, was I positionally his son? Was he my dad? Oh, yeah, we had the same relationship. He was dad, I was son. At that moment, did we have sweet fellowship? Absolutely not. I wanted to be wherever he wasn't. Oh, he came in, he was furious. John, I just told you one thing. Just, you have to fill it up. Just put enough gas in there. Oh, Dad, I know, I know, I know. Let me have the gas can. I'll go, I'll go. And I was trying to figure out how I can get to town and get enough gas to get it in there and figure it out. Oh, I was, it was a mess, and I didn't have to drive the truck for a while. <laughs> but he, I was accepted as his son, but I wasn't accepted by my behavior. You know, when the Bible says this, you know this first, come out from among them and be ye, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you. And you'll be my sons and daughter. 
in, in Psalms, they say, why do I only live a separated, why do I live Holy Spirit life so I can be separated to God from the world? Why? So that you can be accepted. When you don't live right, it hurts your parents. They're still your parents, you're still their child. And if you don't live right, you're still God's child. But it hurts him. Because you're not living like a Christian. You're not living like your father wants you to live. You're not doing all those things that please him. Does he accept us positionally and eternally? Yes. Does he accept us practically and is there a sweet fellowship? No. First John talks about that. We don't have fellowship one with another. We don't have fellowship with the Lord. He reminds us of that. That's why he says that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God. Why? He's my strength. He's my redeemer. And in Romans chapter 12, not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind that you may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We find here that uh, he says, whenever we live in righteousness, peace, and joy, then we're accepted of the Lord and we're favored by others. You know, I think a person who has these attributes, even the unsaved people favor you. They don't understand what's going on inside of you. They just see the joy. They see the peace. They see the righteousness. And they just, they trust you. They favor you. Sometimes I've, I've, got, uh, I've got people in my life, and you have people in your life. They're unsaved. I know they're lost as a goose in the hellstorm. If the Lord came back today, they'd go to hell. I'm praying that God will save them. But I'm amazed at how much confidence they'll put in me. And they'll, 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 they'll tell me things. They'll ask me to do things. They won't even ask their own family to do. They give me things. They offer, offer opportunities to help, for, help me. And I'm thinking, why in the world would they do this? Because they won't even let me sit down and share the gospel yet. But they, they, especially, I had one guy like that the other day, and I, I walked into his business. He said, oh, 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 Pastor, wait, wait, wait. Wait, I want you to meet my boss. Don't go away. So I stood around for a while, and he took me to his district manager, and I don't even know why. But he wants me to meet his district manager. And he was so happy that I would do that. And I don't know why, because I've asked him, can I show you from the Bible? Oh, maybe one day, one day, one day. But right now, he, 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 he sees something. He doesn't even know what it is yet. You know what it is? Occasionally, I have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can't, you can't buy that at Costco. Can't get that at Sam's Club. Okay, you can't get that at Menards. That's stuff that has to come from the Holy Spirit of God. But when you have it, you get the favor of God and the favor of others. Then I want you to look at the next verse right here. This is something I, I may not get to all I wanted to tonight, and I'm uh, sorry about that, but I want you to see this. I think this is helpful. Verse number 19. Read it with me out loud, would you? 14, 19. Ready? Let us therefore follow after things which make for... And things wherewith one may, so he hears here, he puts others in here. He says, you're, gonna need, you're, you're supposed to live your life so that you edify, you help other people in the same process. I can't tell you how much I need you and we need each other. I can't tell you how much I need each of these men up here. They, they help me. They play a role in my life that's extremely important. Never think about any of them, and really in negative terms. I just think, man, these are gifted men of God that, boy, our church is so blessed to have. 
and they strengthen us. He said, but, he said, look, so one thing you have to do to make progress is you have to have peace. If you don't have peace, you're going to be running around all day putting fires out, exercising energy that you can't afford to be doing on that when you should be making progress. You know the people, in the, the people there in California with all these fires? They can't get any peace. They're spending all their time and their energy. They can't, they can't clean the trucks. They can't to go get the cat out of the, off, the, off the, the light pole. They can't service their community. Why? Because they're giving all their, their energy to try to get fires out. And sometimes, you know this, there are days like that. Your mama told you to have days like that. Where it just seems like you just can't get anything done because you're putting fires out all the time. And, and the devil, he's the author of what? Confusion. One thing I don't want to ever do is be a reason. I don't want to be used of Satan to bring strife. Some people, strife is their life. They've got strife wherever they go. They create drama. And oftentimes it's people that spend way too much time filling their mind and their eyes and their ears on the silly social media and news outlets. And you know more about what's going on. You need to get your head in the book. Get your face out of Facebook, get in the book. Spend a little time saying, you know, I don't care. I don't think it's wrong to have Facebook. I think you've got to be careful how much time it occupies and what you see because you cannot help but speak of the things which you have seen and heard. It affects you. And it makes you strife-filled. If I, if I, I don't care if it's CNN or, or ABC or CBS or Fox News. If I spend too much time, then I get a little edgy. I want to just so go to a trash can and throw up. I get sick. I get frustrated with everything. And that's sometimes even with good, with just, just the, the perspective I think is helpful. Still frustrating. And the Bible says things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are a good report, think on these things. Be careful what we, what we see. But the next verse I want to share with you, and by the way, peace is what we need to edify one another. If you're tore up on the inside, you're not going to bring calmness to anybody else around you. If you're all tore up and you don't have the peace and you're not making peace, and peace has to be made. You know, you don't have a clean kitchen because you want one. You don't have clean clothes because you think that'd be a great idea to have. You don't have a clean bedroom and a bed that's made and a, and a, and a dresser that's dusted off and your jewelry's in the right place and your clothes are all hung up just because you think that's a good idea. You have to make it happen. Would you agree with that? And I think that's why the Bible says, blessed are the peace makers. You have to, but, but work for peace and then edify one another. Let's look at the last uh, the th statement there, verse number 20. This is interesting. For meat... For a rule or for an, uh, uh, something, destroy not. What's the next word? You know, that's a big deal. You don't see that too much in the Bible. The work of God. It just tells me a couple things. God is at work. Now, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about the Bap First Baptist Church of Hammond as much. I'm talking about what he is doing in the sphere of community of, of people's lives. You know what's something that really messes things up is when people can't be peaceful with God, with themselves, with others, then the work that God is trying to do to bring people to Christ. If you're tore up, you're not going to be sensitive to win people to Christ. 
He said, for meat, for a disagreement with this thing or that thing, don't let it mess up or destroy what God's trying to do. I'm convinced that we'll see this in eternity future, that many of us will grieve a thousand grievances about how much didn't get done in our watch because we're so caught up with dumb, petty arguments, stupid little things, meat, arguing over a ham sandwich, arguing over, well, well, that's right, and how can they do this, and this is not right, and this is how they be done, and we do all that stuff. We spend all this time emailing, Facebooking, giving our opinions, talking to our wife, talking to our husband, just all fumed up over that situation when we could have spent energies talking to someone about Christ, going making a visit, winning someone to Christ, and, and the work of God. The work that God's doing is not getting done because we're caught up with some stupid argument over a ham sandwich, over something that's silly that it, it's not that big of a deal in light of eternity. I can get over it. Great peace have they which... And nothing is going to offend them. They're not going to get tripped up over something dumb. The Bible tells us that love does what? It covers a multitude of, well, what they did, what she said, how she said it, what, what he said about me, what they did. And we make a big stinking mountain out of a molehill at the expense of really not doing what God's work needed to be done. There was someone we could have discipled instead of we sent an hour, sending out our, our harsh, terse email, how mad we are about this or what this person said when we could have discipled someone, we could have won someone to Christ, we could have visited on a bus route, we could have done something. But we get caught up with meat and drink and we destroy the work that God is doing in the hearts of people. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. I have been there. I've been an idiot so many times, getting caught up with dumb stuff that really doesn't matter. It could rob me from things that God is doing in the work in people's life. And I don't want to miss that. You don't need to.